Welcome to the second episode of Reimagining Defence, brought to you by Lieutenant Colonel Henry Willey and myself, Flight Lieutenant James Coote. The thoughts are our own and do not represent the MOD. The podcast is for people who want to become bilingual in the languages of defence and technology. Through examining how exponential technologies are fundamentally disrupting organisations worldwide, we explore how we might harness them to reimagine defence. In this episode, Henry explores big data. We should be particularly fearful of hippos, highest paid person's opinions. Because in the absence of data, the person with the highest rank, the one that gets paid the most, makes the decision. You can't really blame hippos for this, as CEOs of Silicon Valley will often lament, if we have data, then let's look at data. But if all we have are opinions, then let's go with mine. Unsurprisingly, this can lead to tenureocracies rather than meritocracies, where those who've been around the longest tend to make all the decisions. Therefore, in order to ensure that it is the quality of the ideas that matters, not who suggested it, a data-driven approach to decision-making is crucial. This is why data is so important. It is ultimately for the purpose of making better decisions faster. Those that want to do this should obsess about data. Moreover, grasping the significance of data also helps us appreciate why it is indispensable to all the other digital technologies. The Internet of Things wants to collect it, the cloud wants to host it, RPA wants to automate it, and AI wants to apply it. Undervalue data and all these things underperform. So let's start with the basics of data before tackling the buzzword of big data. We've always had data. It's the lifeblood of the scientific approach. You form a hypothesis, create an experiment to test it, then you check to see the data if you are right or wrong. Each time you do this, you understand a little more. You get a little smarter. What's happened in the last couple of decades is that digitization has led to more data, which has led to a significantly greater understanding of the world around us. Think about it from a personal perspective. Before 2007, if I said, we're deploying on operations and I need maps, a notebook, phone and address lists, a GPS, a camera, a dictaphone, a video camera, a radio and so on, you'd need a Bergen to carry it around. Now, you just need a pocket, because in 2007, much of that stuff was digitized and dematerialized into an iPhone. Which means for us, and the other 3.5 billion smartphone users out there, we have persistent access to data from around the globe in close to real time, which allows snappy, effortless decision-making in turn. Take the app Google Maps, for example. It collects map and satellite data, real-time traffic feeds, your GPS coordinates, as well as those of the other 1 billion drivers out there who use it each year, all with the aim of spoon-feeding you the best directions to get you from A to B. The bottom line is that digitization has led to an abundance of accessible information, which has helped us make better decisions faster. It has also led to the term data science, and big data. In 2012, the Harvard Business Review ran an article headlined, 
data scientist, the sexiest job of the 21st century. And this year, Project Maven, the US DOD's billion dollar AI program, will purportedly spend about half their money on data scientists. So why so sexy? Well, from a command perspective, and without wanting to be too simplistic, one way to think of a data scientist is as a TERP, an interpreter. On operations, a high-quality TERP is an invaluable patrol member. They have a rare skill set that allows you to understand the people, the data, around you. And when you don't have one, it can be hard to make effective decisions. You are deaf and dumb to what people, the data, are telling you. TERPs and data scientists help you collect the data from which village to take you to or which data set to explore. They know how to clean that data through filtering out dodgy informers or enhancing incomplete data sets. And they know how to visualize the most important data points through surers or software applications like Power BI. In sum, a data scientist is the person that interprets and presents the data such that commanders can make informed decisions as quickly and effortlessly as possible. So here's the provocation. If TERPs are an invaluable member of a tactical patrol, should a data scientist be an essential member of a general's team? If the logic is that the world is becoming data rich, have we invested in putting those that can exploit this at the top table? As for big data, it can be big in three ways, volume, variety, and velocity. We'll use Facebook to illustrate the point. Firstly, for volume, data can be big by dint of the number of examples in a database, which for Facebook could be its two and a half billion subscribers. Imagine two and a half billion individual cells running across the top of your Excel spreadsheet. Secondly, for variety, data can be big due to the range of characteristics for each example. In this case, the differing characteristics for each Facebook subscriber the friends they have, what they've liked, their IP address, their browsing history, and so on. Recorded every second they log on, of every day of every year. Again, you end up with an endless waterfall of data pouring down the y-axis of an imaginary spreadsheet. Thirdly, for velocity, data can be big due to the speed at which it is collected, such as the 4 million likes a minute or 350 million photos a day being uploaded. The information in the database is never static. Facebook's systematic collection of big data means that it has profiled us extraordinarily effectively for targeted advertising, a business model that is so successful that it accounts for 98% of the $21 billion in revenue Facebook made last year. In the military, we might call advertising information operations, where both advertisers and information operators send messages to nudge people to do something they want. But to make the nudge work, the targeter needs to understand the audience and then tailor the message to their beliefs. One military term that describes systematically understanding the audience is human terrain mapping. Facebook has digitized human terrain mapping at colossal scale. In 2016, the Washington Post reported that Facebook systematically collected 
98 personal data points on each of its 2 billion plus members, ranging from their age to what news they follow. In electioneering terms, the insights yielded by such big data allows campaign managers to send tailored messages to different segments of the audience, known as micro-targeting. This increases the chance of landing a compelling message targeted to voters who, whose opinions might be swayed at a fraction of the cost of traditional advertising. In 2016, Trump's campaign sent nearly 6 million micro-targeted ads, whereas Clinton's was a mere 66,000. Looking ahead to this year's US elections, the Financial Times describes it as a digital war, where some fear that the Democrats risk losing because they are digital dinosaurs who just don't get the power of online electioneering. Whereas Trump has made Brad Pascal, his 2016 digital director, his campaign manager for this election. He has put a data scientist at the top table, a digital cat amongst Jurassic pigeons. Big data and data science is not a nirvana though. Continuing the US election theme, take polling. It's the Olympics of predictive modeling. Every four years, the top pollsters line up to place their bets. In 2016, days before Donald Trump waltzed into the White House, Reuters gave Hillary Clinton a 90% chance of victory. The Huffington Post said 98%, Princeton Election Consortium 99%, and the New York Times 85%. So how could so many smart people get it so wrong? Well, maybe it's that they weren't that smart after all. Data is only as good as the people using it. It is possible to see a breadcrumb trail of how the predictions turn sour, from not sampling the right populations, akin to Dominic Cummings' quip that journalists should get out of London if they want to get an accurate representation of the country's view on Brexit, through to models that didn't fully take into account people who might not want to admit that they had voted for Trump, through to an absence of incorporating alternative data sources, like comments on social media. One of the ways to sum this up is through the adage of systems thinking. Garbage in, garbage out. The quality of the input dictates the quality of the output. If you're recruiting from a pool of poor quality candidates, you won't produce special forces. If you build a car from cheap materials, you'll get expensive repair bills. And if you analyse poor quality data, the resulting analysis will be worthless at best and misleading or damaging at worst. So far, we've discussed why we should care about data, because we want to make better decisions faster. We've discussed how big data can be characterised, volume, variety and velocity, as well as how data scientists are digital terps and how poorly translated data can lead to big problems. Now we're going to take the liberty of imagining what all this could mean for defence five years from now. What could good look like? Let's focus on two things, people, then product. Why people first? Well, hold in your mind that line from systems thinking. The quality of the input you use always has an impact on the quality of output. And then consider why John Boyd, the maverick US fighter pilot, 
used to shout at audiences, people, ideas, technology, in that order. If we don't get the people right, we won't get the ideas right, and then we won't get the output we want from the technology. Therefore, for data, five years from now, data scientists will be seen as essential members of the patrol, whether that be at the tactical level, where they work in fobs, shoulder to shoulder with operators, to transform the data that is coming off the battlefield into actionable insights or bespoke apps which accelerate operational tempo and term. Or at the strategic level, with sophisticated modelling to help generals make informed decisions over how best to invest billions of pounds of taxpayer money. In short, just as forward air controllers reach into the sky to weaponise the assets overhead, data scientists reach into the cloud to weaponise the data at hand. Their skill set will become a go-no-go -no -go criteria for mission success. Turning to product. Five years from now, our data wants to have Google-like qualities. That is, we want a platform where MOD data has been structured, the algorithms refined, and the method of presentation simplified, such that we can turn our MOD-issued smartwatches, smartphones, laptops, or augmented reality night vision goggles to get tailored answers relevant to our needs instantly. Whether we're an operator in the field, asking for how many assets can swarm on a given target at a given time, to an administrator back in camp, asking for stats on electric vehicle fleet usage. Ultimately, good looks like one data platform, many different uses. Think about it. If Google, a company started by two students in a basement, can index hundreds of billions of web pages to make much of the world's information universally accessible and useful, then we should have the wherewithal to do a slither of that for those in defense. That product, the underlying data, is also the fuel to make, dare I say it, every other buzzword buzz. Internet of Things, AI, ML, RPA, blockchain, quantum, and so on. And yet, None of these can benefit from data without one other crucial component, the cloud, which is the topic for our next episode. We hope you enjoyed this episode, narrated and written by Lieutenant Colonel Henry Willey and edited by myself, James Coote. We'd like to thank AADP, the Army's Advanced Development Programme, and the RAF Medical Services for allowing us the journalistic freedom to create this podcast. The thoughts are our own and do not represent the MOD or these organisations. If you want to delve deeper, you can access the script and references for this podcast by sending a blank email with your rating of the podcast from 0 to 10 in the subject line to readefpod at gmail.com or by checking out our Twitter at readefpod. Just to be clear, ReDefPod is R-E-D-E-F-P-O-D. For those who want to learn how to code, apply data science, or learn agile project management techniques, check out the J-Hub coding scheme, where you'll get paid up to £500 for learning these skills and have your achievement logged on JPA. Just search J-Hub coding scheme on DefNet. Finally, if this podcast has sparked any ideas for innovative capability that you want to get into the hands of military users, you can submit your ideas via the new GEMS platform found at def-ideas.wazoku.com. 
Alternatively, reach out directly to DARE for the Navy, Ariel for the Army, RCA for the RAF, or JHUB for STRATCOM, all found by a quick search on DEFNET. If you've enjoyed this episode of Reimagining Defence, we'd be over the moon if you could share it with a friend and leave us a five-star review. Until our next episode on cloud computing, take care.